Morning, church. Um, before I read the word, let me pray for us. Um, dear God, your word is a lamp for our feet. Prepare our hearts to receive, reflect, and practice your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, so the reading is from James 5, 7 to 20. Patience in suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patient, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. The prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and a cover of a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to see you online again to worship the Lord together. Last Sunday, we learned that James warned his readers against attempting to gain control over their lives by making plans without God and by clinging to accumulated wealth as if it could give them the life and peace they crave. Now James concludes this long section by encouraging his reader to be patient. The warnings to the money hungry and rich in last week's passage is important background to our text this morning because the people to whom James speaks on have surely suffered at the hands of the people to whom James spoke to these earlier verses. In this morning passage, James turns back to his oppressed Christian readers in their suffering. He urged them to stay patient as they wait. The, Lord, the day of the Lord, the very same one that their oppressors should be dreading is one they can look forward to. It will come. The Lord is standing at the door and ready. Now let's work our way through 
each section. In James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, James encouraged his reader to be patient, like farmers who wait through the raining seasons for the harvest to be ready. They must strengthen their hearts, stand firm in the faith, and refuse to give in to grumbling against each other in their suffering. Instead, they should follow the examples of the Old Testament prophets and Job, who remain faithful to God through great suffering and persecution. Then as now, God knows what his people are going through. He is still compassionate and merciful. He will reward those who are faithful. Notice that James begins this section with the word therefore. Unfortunately, this is not reflected in NIV. As pointed out earlier, James is tying this to the previous section. This is his conclusion to his warnings just before. Therefore, since there is no future in speaking against each other, making plans on your own or clinging to your wealth, what are you to do when you are pressed and discouraged in the midst of ongoing or difficult trials? You are to be patient until the Lord's coming. So we are to fix our eyes on Jesus' return. This is to be the reality that frames our present experience, that give us the perspective to live in our current situations. And as James says later in verse 8, the Lord's coming is near. What does it mean to be patient? Well, James filled this out as he continues through the passage. James uses the illustrations of the farmer to indicate the patience is connected to waiting. The farmer waits for the land to yield its variable crop and patiently waits for the autumn and spring rains. In Palestine, farmers would plant crops to take advantage of the autumn rain, which helps the grain to germinate and come up. The crops who would grow during the winter and need the spring rain for a good harvest in May or early June. The farmer has to exercise great patience as he yearns to see the rains come at just the right time. In a similar way, the Christian is to exercise patience in living for God. This patience seems to have a twofold work outworking. First, it is the kind of patience that does not seek to retaliate for wrongs committed against us as Christians. We leave the execution of justice to our Lord when he returns to judge his adversary. Second, patience has a positive element which works itself out as endurance and perseverance. 
It means that we do not become weary in doing good. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. The patience or steadfastness that James speaks to have in mind is self-restraint, a willingness to wait on the Lord to avenge wrongs. What is being required of us is that we neither lose patience with God because he doesn't vindicate us and punish those who act against us as quickly as we think he should nor with one another, taking upon ourselves, if only in our hearts, the role of judge and executioner. When things don't come to pass as you hope or expect, it's tempting to blame someone else. Blaming others is easier than taking responsibility. Furthermore, when we are grumbling against one another, our focus is not on God's reality and work in our lives, but on the inequalities we see as we focus on those around us. It is easy to find lots of reasons to grumble at the good fortunes or bad decisions or extravagance and so on of our sister and brothers. When we are grumbling, we are unable to receive God's peace and we are unable to give or receive a blessing from another person. When we grumble, we are not content with God's work in our lives and in those around us. We are not able to see them as God does. Here, James is calling for us to have patience toward believers as well as unbelievers. Don't grumble or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Like the section preceding this one on the coming of the Lord, James emphasizes the nearest of God. God is near to so he sees any and every injustice. Because the God who sees is near, we can count on him to put everything right sooner or later. He's very aware of all wrongs and all injustices. We need not grumble or deliver God's finest word of judgment as if God were blind or extreme or uncaring. James encourages his reader to look at the suffering and the endurance of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. One way to help us establish our hearts in the face of suffering is to read about the prophets and what they endure. Their suffering far exceeds our suffering, and yet look at their endurance and dedication to the faith in the face of such turmoil. The prophets not only remain strong in the Lord, but they continue to preach the word of God to people who did not want to hear them. 
when we read about the, the responses that Jeremiah received while preaching the word of the Lord, we will quickly appreciate his steadfastness. The prophets are an, an amazing testimony to what faith under fire truly looks like. We can learn from their endurance. James also brings the perseverance of Job into the discussion. Do not forget about the patient endurance of Job. Job maintained his integrity and maintained his righteous way of life when Satan threw everything he could at Job to cause Job's faith to erode. Follow the example of Job. Look at his faithfulness. Follow the examples of the prophets and continue to teach and live for God in a world that does not want to listen. Notice what James says in verse 11. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We must ask an important question to understand what James is teaching. How was the Lord full of compassion and mercy towards Job? James says that in the life of Job, we see the purpose of the Lord and how he is full of compassion and mercy. But compassion and mercy are not the qualities that jump off the page when we read the story of Job. How do we see the compassion and mercy of the Lord in the trials of Job? Firstly, the Lord put limits on what Satan could do to Job. We see the compassion and the mercy of the Lord by putting boundaries on the testing that Satan could do. Satan did not have free reign to do whatever he wanted against Job. God had promised that we will not be overtaken by our trials and temptations. We will be able to endure the suffering that we experience. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Secondly, we see the compassion and the mercy of the Lord when Job is vindicated in the end. The final chapter of the book of Job reveals God in vindicating the righteousness of Job. Job is blessed by God after he endures the difficulties. In the same way, we will receive a crown of righteousness in the end. We will be vindicated for maintaining our faith in the Lord through the trials and suffering of life. James concludes his thought in this section by drawing attention to this last statement with the words, above all. Here James strongly warns again using oaths to back up our words. Instead, he tells his readers to let your yes be yes. And your no, be no. People often back up their words by swearing to something in the times of James's 
a writing. The person taking the oath would take it more or less seriously depending on what they were swearing by. Basically, what it came down to is that one could not trust the one that the other person's word. One could not be sure that person would come true at all. As Christians, we must keep our word at all times, in both times of joy and times of suffering. When we say that we will do something, then we will do it. If we say yes, then it is a yes. If we say no, then it is no. The need to take oaths shows that we are not faithful to our word. If people need us to cross our hearts and make an oath on someone very important to us, it shows that they, are, they do not believe us. We have no integrity with our words. We say we will do some things, but then we do not do it. James condemns us for this. If there is anyone on earth who keeps his word, it must be the Christian. James's teaching mirrors Jesus' word in Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37. Our faithfulness should be so consistent and dependable that we need no oath to support it. You see, James is saying that patience is not manifested by grand verbal promises, but by quiet talk that follows true in Christian life. Our patience and endurance will be shown not in the grandiosity of our verbal commitments, but in our endurance under trial. Now let's turn to verses 13 to 18. James opened his letter by commanding believers to count all struggles as joy. His intent was not for Christians to pretend to be happy, but simply to realize that God could bring good out of every situation. Now in verses 13 to 15, James closes out his letter by encouraging believers to demonstrate their faith in God by praying in response to every circumstances. And in verses 16 to 18, James makes it clear that the community of Christians should take responsibility for each other. They should confess their sins to each other so those brothers and sisters can pray for another's, one another's strength to overcome those sins. Verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. In verse 13, James returns to the subject of suffering. 
Remember that James began his writing on the subject of suffering and said to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. James now tells us that prayer is the answer of suffering. The suffering that James is referring to is not merely that we are having a bad day at work. Look back to chapter 5, verse 10, and we see that this suffering is referred to the suffering what the prophets endure for the Lord. The prophets suffer for their stand for, uh, for righteousness and God's truth. They suffered for speaking the messages of God. They suffered for engaging the wicked world. After pointing out the suffering of the prophets, James turns his attention to his readers and tells us that we need to pray when we are suffering for what is right. When the apostles suffer at the hands of the Sanhedrin, notice that the first thing the apostles and the Christian in Jerusalem did was to pray for bonus. That's in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. When we are not suffering for righteousness, then our prayers must be songs of thanksgiving to God. In the second half of verse 13, James writes, Is, uh, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. James reminds his reader that they must not forget to pray in the good time as well as the bad. How does a person respond when they're happy? With prayer. Songs of praise. James says in verse 14, Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. It is evidence from the passage that James is referring to very serious illnesses. Calling for the elders implies that this person is physically unable to go to the elders or go to worship. The elders are called to this person who is severely sick. Further, James is not saying that the elders have special powers of healing. James is simply recognizing as well, uh, as we all recognize that, the elders being representatives of the congregation. They represent the church as a whole. The point here is not to teach that if you will pray, for a person, that person will always be healed for their sicknesses and diseases. James is simply teaching us the power of prayer. Prayer is not exclusive to our spiritual needs. Prayer is effective and powerful for our physical sicknesses. Therefore, verse 14 is telling us to come armed with spiritual and natural resources 
for healing. Do not neglect God when you are seriously ill. There is power in prayer. However, do not neglect natural resources for healing. James instructs the elders to pray and secondarily to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. Dropping oil was a common way to treat illnesses. We must not neglect what God has made available for healing. There is such a mistake today made by religious people who believe God must heal outside of any medical intervention. These people refuse medicine or surgery, believing the, that God will heal the person miraculously. Brothers and sisters, God has given us medicines as part of our treatment. What we have available as treatments today are very much a part of the ways God can answer prayer. We pray to God for grace, but that does not mean we neglect the treatments available to us. However, we must not put all our trust in these treatments, forgetting that there is power in prayer for healing. Come, arm for healing to spiritual and natural means. Not only does prayer have power for our physical sicknesses, but also our spiritual sicknesses. Sins can be forgiven through prayer. We see early, sorry, we see clearly in the first letter of the Apostle John. John wrote to Christian and said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Further, we are to confess our sins to each other so that we can pray for each other. When we are struggling with weaknesses, temptations, and sins, we can ask for the prayers of one another. Note that James does not say to only confess your sins to the elders or a particular group of people within the church. We are all on equal footing when it comes to sins, and all of us need the prayers of one another in our first fight against, in our fights against Christ, uh, Satan. This is why James can make such a dynamic, powerful statement at the end of verse 16. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful when it is exercised. We need to be exercising prayer because it is a powerful tool that works in a variety of circumstances. Prayer works when we are suffering for righteousness. Prayer works when we are severely ill. Prayer works when we confess our sins to God and brings forgiveness. 
Look at what can be done when prayer is exercised. Prayer causes things to happen. To bolster his point, James turns to the example of Elijah. Before giving us his illustration, James wants to remind us that Elijah was a person with a nature like ours. Yes, Elijah was a prophet. However, the fact that Elijah was a prophet is irrelevant in regards to the power of prayer. Elijah accomplished great things through prayer. Elijah was not superhuman. He simply prayed to the supernatural Almighty God. We can also accomplish great things through prayer. Prayer is not for personal, selfish gain, but for God's kingdom and glory. Elijah prayed, prayed fervently, James says. Look at the outcome of his fervent prayer. Prayer is powerful and effective. James is begging us to see why prayer is useful and why we must engage more frequently in prayer. Finally, in verses 19 to 20, people who are in the community of Christ should make an attempt to go and rescue those who have wandered away and into sin. They have the opportunity to save souls from death. Here, James calls us to bring back those who wander from the truth. In chapter 1, verse 18, James said that we who are in Christ have been brought forth according to the will of God by the word of truth. Throughout his letter, he has been expounding upon that life according to that word of truth looks like. He has called us to keep from doing harm to others in word or deed. But now he calls us to actively engage in doing eternal good for one another. Those who wander from doctrinal or moral or relational truth are to be diligently pursued, lovingly heard, gently corrected, and graciously restored to fellowship through Christ, who is our Savior. This is a profound responsibility that we have towards one another. But it is also an incredible beverage that Lord includes us in doing the work of salvation. Let's summarize what we have learned this morning. In the first section, James encourages his reader to be patient and stand firm in the midst of suffering. In the second section, 
James encourages his reader to pray in all circumstances, at all times, for all things. Prayer is powerful. Do not ignore prayer. Do not neglect prayer. Once you pray, go and do the work of the Lord. Finally, James reminds his readers about their mission. If they see a fellow believer wandering away from the faith, turning his back on God, it is their responsibility or our responsibility to bring him back. This morning, as we come to the close of our study in the book of James, my hope is that you not merely understand the book of James better, but that your commitment to living the Christian life has become more resolute. And your relationship with God has deepened as a result of our time spent in James. Finally, let's remind ourselves with James's exhortations, taken from chapter 1, verses 22 and 25. Do not merely listen to the word, but also do what it says, for those who do it will be blessed in what they do. Amen. And may God bless you.